and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and I am pleased to have on the show today my friend from university, Avon Onvig. Avon is a wonderful person and a great animator, and I know that all of you are going to enjoy hearing what he has to say. And I also want to make an announcement about a cool event that's happening in the LA area this weekend. Pop Secret Gallery in Eagle Rock is presenting their Star Wars Pilots Gallery Show on Saturday, December 17th at 6 p.m. It promises to be an amazing show. It's featuring artwork from a number of fantastic artists. So for all of you out there who love art and who love Star Wars and who love Pop Secret Gallery and who want to go and mingle and have fun and meet different artists and just enjoy artwork, this is the show for you, so make sure to check that out. I'll have a link in the show notes so that you can get all of the details. So make sure to check that out and have a great time. And so without further ado, I am happy to present episode 35, Interview with Avon Onvig. Hello, everyone. I am speaking today with my friend Avon Onvig. Avon is a 3D animator for Red Thread Games in Oslo, Norway. Hey, how's it going today? Hey, very good. It's a beautiful Sunday morning in Oslo, and I'm very comfortable ready for uh, for some uh, animation talk. Excellent. Very cool. So I always like to start off with how people got their start in the industry. But since you are from Norway, I would, I'm really curious, just where in Norway are you from? And what was life like growing up over there? I hail from the, the northern part of Norway, from, from a group of islands called the Lofoten Islands. Uh, they're like a island group that kind of sticks out like a nose. If you ever look at the map of Norway. They're past the Arctic Circle, and life there was, I would say, like very typical sort of uh, rural Norwegian life. And we were a good bunch of friends who grew up sort of nerding out and, you know, playing video games, going to school, hanging out, enjoying all the 80s stuff that we could get our hands on. Since we were sort of in the early 90s, we were, uh, we were 10, 12-ish, and we would sort of hijack yeah, our older brothers' like copies of Robocop or Terminator and sort of do the entire 80s sort of experience with those kind of movies and then, you know, geek out on Dungeons and & Dragons and all of that. All right. And we had spoken in a previous conversation. You guys also made your own movies. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. we uh, A group of friends of mine, we, we did a lot of Super 8 movies when we were out, 12 to 14. And a lot of them were like, you know, spoofs of movies we'd seen. So we did like some James Bond movies. We did some horror movies and and so forth and had great fun. But Thinking back on them, some of the stuff we did, uh, we did for them weren't, weren't entirely safe or uh, the acting wasn't entirely there either. So I think some of us would might maybe sort of die of embarrassment if, uh, if uh, they ever hit YouTube or something. One of the horror adaptations we did, we needed like the typical sort of blonde woman to get murdered in the beginning. And since we couldn't get any of our girlfriends to... to do the job. Uh, I think I was allocated as, as head victim and they got makeup on me, put me in a pink skirt and away we go. <laughs> so you're like, I shall play the role of victim number one. Yes. Okay. And I recall too, you had um, something involving firecrackers in a garage. Oh yeah. We, uh, we ended up murdering my, my mother's suitcase at one point because we uh, we needed uh, we like a suit, uh, like a suitcase bomb so we uh, we hijacked my mother's suitcase and sort of filled it with firecrackers and some gasoline to sort oh, of oh uh, jeez yeah <laughs> i think everybody goes through their pyro uh, pyrotechnical phase and uh, we certainly did that among other things we also did the entire thing where we got these um, 
these long plastic tubes that they would sort of use as sort of bazookas because a friend of mine his, his family would always have like tons of leftovers of rockets and firecrackers from New Year's Eve and we would just sort of use that for like special effects for, for, for our movies and stuff. It was great fun but not safe at all. <laughs> I am not That's kind of sounds like the, the best thing. I, I, I wonder now if if kids making movies are doing the same kinds of things, you know, if they're being really crazy with the pirate or if everything's just now on the computer, you know, in After Effects or in Photoshop, if anybody's doing any of that practical effects. If YouTube is to believe, then I would say that that tradition is alive and kicking and <laughs> I, I'm not worried that practical effects are going away. That's good. So then... What was the turning point when you realized, you know, making movies is a lot of fun, playing games is a lot of fun. I want to be one of the people that has this for their career. I would say the turning point where I sort of started sort of directing myself towards getting a job or a career within sort of the entertainment industry was probably when I was around 14, 15, when we were just about to finish ninth, uh, 10th grade, where um, I asked my uh, sort of student counselor what sort of would be like the best educational path to take in order to, at that point, I wanted to work with, with movies and was maybe considering uh, just sort of aiming for film direction. So I was given sort of a suggestion that I should t- do like a general education because a lot of films, some film schools, because at that point you hadn't sort of developed in Norway that much sort of high schools where the goal was or the focus was film directing to that extent. I think you had a couple but they were, at the, I mean when you're 16 you sort of can't really just very easily travel half the country to sort of go to like a film school down south or something that was sort of aimed for people who want to do that for their high school degree. So I did like a general education thing where I would, uh, at the side, study filmmaking, and I was also during sort of my high school years, I got heavily into drawing, and did a pivot away from film and into illustration. And where did you go to school? So my first year, the first uh, where I started sort of like a formal education when it comes to drawing was in Oslo. I was about 19 when I uh, moved down to do like one-year course there and after there I went to England for about did my bachelor's for about three years and after that I ended up going to San Francisco studying animation for about three and a half where I I met <laughs> among other people you yeah I'm glad that we met but let's uh we're gonna talk, I'm gonna talk about that a little bit because so you went to England mm-hmm. You studied in England, got your bachelor's degree, mm. and then how did you decide from that point in that you then wanted to go to the States to continue studying? What was it that made you decide that you needed to take that route as well? It was sort of a route of necessities because well, uh, what I studied in England was 2D animation, and once I graduated, it was just at that time where 3D animation especially had become like the big thing. So uh, trying to find a 2D job in London became increasingly difficult. And I was living in a, like a, like a nine meter apartment in London working as a waiter and trying to sort of figure out what I need to do to, to sort of get the job I wanted. And I decided I need some, some time to learn 3D animation. And the only place that seemed natural for me to, to go to was to go to the sort of the birthplace of like modern day animation and 3D animation and sort of learn from the best. So that's how I sort of went, did that pivot to sort of go over to the United States to, to, to learn the craft there. Were the 2D studios in England closing? Or were studios shutting down their 2D departments the way that Disney and some of the other studios here in the States were doing? Uh, some had closed and uh, some were just sort of uh, pivoting more to 3D animation and uh, and 
uh, sort of making that their big focus and you know laying people off that were already in the two department. Of course, uh, about seven or eight years after that, you know, around 2012 and onwards, 2D would sort of started getting a boom back in England. So by that point, it was increasingly difficult. Because, yeah, yeah, you were competing with, you know, all the established animators in 2D as well. And all right. And for, you know, for people that want to study abroad, particularly if they want to come to the States, what's that process like of getting all your paperwork and your visa together so that you can come over here and study? The process was um, very sort of straightforward uh, because Norway has... Uh, I mean, Norway has like visa treaties with the United States and stuff, and there's also uh, there's certain schools in the United States that the Norwegian government has flagged for approval for for student loans and grants from the Norwegian government. So um, they sort of that sort of expedites the process a bit and makes things a bit easier for you to get like the funding you might need for such a trip and uh, all that. But um, the process was, you know. Um, you applied for school, you got in, then you applied for the loan, got the loan, and then through the school, you would, you know, you apply for your I-22 student visa, which wasn't, I was, I think the form only was like six or seven pages or something, it wasn't something overwhelming. Like, I, I think, I think there was more like bureaucratic work once you got into the AAU system about sort of uh, which courses you had to take than the actual visa application. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that's uh that's too bad. <laughs> Actually, it's like you think it'd be the other way around. It's like you're coming from a whole other country. Here's a stack of paperwork, not mm. hey, which animation class should we put you in? All right, let's, you know, try to navigate that system. And which uh, sort of, you know, GDC do we have to put you in that, you know, really won't make you hate life the most? <laughs> oh, and what is what does that stand for? Uh it's general education program it's the, it's the, it's a part of the AAU master course where um, because AAU gets funding uh, funding from the American government as well in order to justify that they had to give students courses that sort of fall in line with university practices so you need sort of to do some essay courses and all of that and I don't know if you remember but you know doing things like art history or uh and those kind of courses. Oh, okay. So just to, in keeping with their accreditation, yeah. basically. Makes sense. Had you been to the United States before, either you know on vacation or to visit the school prior to coming to school here? I had never set foot in America. I uh, wow. I was a green-eyed uh, uh, boy who uh, who sort of came off the uh, the ship or the airplane in this case, in this case, and was like, wow. I'm actually in America. Yay! <laughs> what were the the coolest things about it, and what were some of the things that surprised you the most? Well, uh, coolest it's that's that's a hard thing to nail down. The coolest thing, I, I would say, you know, the people. Americans are great, but uh, I would just say, like, I mean, because it's San Francisco, so there there's a different level of also insanity there. Than, than I've seen in a lot of other places I've been. People are like the right kind of crazy, or my kind of crazy, if you will. <laughs> and at, at the same time, the city itself struck me very much as uh, as like a city I would probably sort of, in one regard, have been able to sort of venture into if I lived in in in, 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 in Norway or in England. Because uh, San Francisco has more like a, and I hate to use the word, uh, Sort of European feel because it sounds a bit pretentious, but it does have a bit of a European feel. <laughs> okay, I imagine that that make it easier then to to adjust to you know American life and dealing with people and figuring out what to do. I, uh, I, I well, I don't know if this is my personality or uh, or whether not the fact that you know American culture isn't that very much different from from. Norwegian or English culture, there's sort of different social norms, but at the whole, the, the cultures are are similar. Or that I'm just very easygoing, I kind of just went with the flow and sort of 
sort of navigate myself very sort of calmly and and just sort of you know chill out <laughs> i would say both because you're a very relaxed and chill person so i'm sure that that helped a great deal to be able to just go and be like all right this is how things go but yeah no it, it was a uh, it was a great experience that's good. And how did you choose our school as opposed to, because I know you mentioned that there were different approved schools, but how did you choose our school as opposed to other schools out there? Uh, I remember we, we, when we when we talked last time, this came up. And I think at that point, I uh, I might have mentioned that that I uh, I met somebody who had gone there who recommended it. But on retrospect, I think I might have mixed up with another school. But I'm not sure how... I know I met somebody when going to one of these sort of job fairs who gone to AAU and recommended it. So I did get a recommendation from somewhere. But no, somebody recommended the school for me and said it was uh, it was a good school with highly highly sort of skilled tutors who who knew how to sort of teach students the the, the craft in a in a well in a, in a good executed professional manner so I ended up there uh, also the price wasn't too bad because I was looking at I think um, wrestling at the time hadn't gotten its accreditation and Cal Arts was just too expensive I understand yeah that was that was part of my thing when I was looking at schools like what can I afford <laughs> you know it's like what is a good school that I can also afford that I can realistically pay back in under a decade all right, yeah. this will work. Yeah, it's going to be about a decade for me before my student loans are gone, if not mm-hmm. a bit more. It's a modern-day lifestyle. Yeah, that's that's the unfortunate part of school. I mean, I'm glad I went to school, but, you know, you look at that price tag and just go, and that is my motivator for getting a good job and doing really well so that all of that debt goes away. <laughs> yeah, that and, you know, or you just went, it was a hell of a ride, man. exactly so i'm curious too what are some of the differences between just the educational system since you you know you had the opportunity to go to college in england and then come to college in the united states and since you were studying i mean granted you weren't you know you're studying 2d over there and 3d over here what are some of the similarities and differences in just the way that you know educational system works I would say that the major difference from from England to uh, United States or the AAU was that the the school in which was uh, Norwich School of Art and Design was that in England they they focused way more of just letting uh, students explore themselves in terms of figure out what types of animation they want to work with and what different types of animations like all the different ways you could create animation and so forth while the the school the, the the AAU was way more sort of trying to get students a job in in terms of their educational practices in terms of setting up more collaborative projects and focusing way more on sort of doing practice tasks when it comes to sort of walk cycles and acting cycle or, or an acting piece and so forth sort of they're really sort of hammering in like animation principles would be the the big difference between the school the AAU and the school in England and the similarities I would say is that we we in in both cases I had excellent teachers who had long industry experience who were able to sort of convey that experience to the students in a in a in a very good manner all right very good so you come here you go to school you graduate from school, and then what was the process like transitioning from being a student to being able to work on different student projects here to freelancing and then eventually, you know, working full time? That was a long process, and it was a poor process. And my because uh, after I graduated from from AAU, I lived about six months in uh, in San Francisco before I sort of had to pack up and and get home because. The only job you can get, uh, I could get in in San Francisco or in, or in America, was an animation-related job. So I couldn't, for instance, like pick up like a small like waiter job or like a bartender job on the side while looking for work. I had to find something 
very specifically to the field. And I mean, the, the big conundrum when you're a student in, in like the modern day animation industries, when you come out, a lot of companies want experience from your resume or from your portfolio. But in order to get that experience, you kind of had to have sort of done the workforce. It becomes like a catch-22. So I was getting poorer and poorer living in San Francisco, sort of picking up uh, odd ends, like small freelancer jobs here and there, but nothing that could really sustain me. So I ended up having to start to plan the shift, sort of came. So plan A isn't really working out. So I, I have a plan B and C. Plan B was to, to go back to Norway to try to take advantage of the sort of booming animation industry that's sort of been sort of rising in Norway. If that didn't pan out, then I would try to sort of go back to England because I had, I still have work permit for England, which England would be a bigger market. So I would go back there to try and reach out to some of my old contacts there to see if there was anything available there. But I, I ended up moving back to Norway and then getting a lot more sort of freelance work in terms of animation. Some of it for like old companies where they uh, where they wanted sort of, you know, either sort of promotional work done or uh, just sort of internal sort of visuals for their own board meetings and stuff. And I was at, when I was doing that, that I, uh, I learned that uh, Red Thread Games uh, had just gotten their project, kick, uh, project funded by Kickstarter and I contacted the director and he told me to apply when they sort of brought the position or sort of publicized the position. That's great. And we will get to that because I'm very impressed that you contacted them directly because that's something I feel like a lot of times, you know, I've done this and a lot of people do this. We just go online and you apply online and then nothing. And you decided, no, I'm going to talk to a person. Yes. So do you want me to elaborate on that or... uh... Well, definitely. But before we do that, I do want to talk about your freelance jobs, because a lot of people are interested in doing freelance as well. And I just want to know, how did you go about getting your freelance jobs and then also doing your contracts and make and figuring out what you needed to make and what you needed to do in order to support yourself? Well, in terms of getting jobs, I would I would get jobs from people who I knew would either contact me or it would be studios that I had contacted previously who would suddenly send me an email saying, we, you know, we have a look at your portfolio and we talked to you on the phone, so we, we think you sound like a recent kind of guy, so we want to hire you for this kind of project for about, you know, two to three weeks to maybe a month to maybe two months and then uh, to do X amount of work for us. And then um, the way I sort of figured out sort of, what, what I need to, to get paid to live on is, you know, I I look at what sort of the average pay in, in, in Norway and sort of went by that. So because in the beginning, you kind of you kind of mentally always kind of undersell yourself a bit because you feel that you don't have sort of the experience yet to sort of make that amount of money as opposed to this amount of money. So um, I, I looked at what... Um, I think I went in and I saw what uh, the, the, the hourly average was for the typical av- uh, worker in Norway. And sort of then sort of because they were hiring me three weeks and I just sort of sort of did, okay, it would be this amount over, over three weeks. And I sort of gave them that sort of estimate and they came back and said, oh, yeah, that's fine. And then they gave me some overtime on top of that where they sort of, the, where I had to sort of work a bit extra and then they sort of paid me extra. So uh, that was... Uh, Working freelance in Norway, while sort of sometimes jobs can be spared me, like my experience working for sort of medium-sized to sort of bigger companies was quite good. Uh, they, they paid on time and paid reasonably well as well. Excellent. So now let's get into Red Thread Games because this is a very impressive company. Their game, uh, Dreamfall Chapters, is the 10th biggest game on Kickstarter of all time. It made over a million and a half dollars and it's rated nine out of 10 on Steam. I mean, this is a, it's a very impressive company and it's a very impressive game. I've had a chance to watch, you know, a bunch of the cut scenes and just look at it and it's very beautiful, very interesting story. 
So let's talk about that because this seems just to be just a really great company to work for. Yeah, it's it's a like it's one of like yeah, my opportunity there is one of those once in a lifetime opportunities where uh, you sort of end up together with this sort of group of people who are very passionate and very driven. The the motivation is to try to create something that's unique and great, and to also create something that's sustainable. And I sort of had to learn to fly with twigs when starting there because my experience with game engines was non-existence so I had to sort of pick that up as I went along and I had to pick up my pace as well because the amount of work they needed was a lot so you just had to figure out where to do the shortcuts and what you can do within 3DS Max in, in this case to sort of sort of speed up the entire process of creating the assets that I needed for the game. Uh, it, it's been one that I like yeah, I don't think I've learned as much in the course of uh, three years I've been there. The like those three years I've probably learned more than I've learned like my the ten previous years combined. That is really impressive. I've heard that before from other friends that work in the studios. I've heard that you know you go to school and you study, but often you learn more on the job than when you were in school. You you definitely learn more on the job. I think it's also because especially when you when you're working for somebody else. You feel uh, you're like the responsibility sort of becomes uh, very much also a motivator. So you, you want to give it your best and you want to sort of produce your best work. And you just sort of really sort of focus on what you can do to get it done. So if you have one, what is a typical day like at the studio for you? Typical day is I, I walk into work and I, I get in and I... I start a dishwasher, I put on some coffee, and I sit down, and for the first, usually for about the first two hours, I just do, like, practice poses on t- yeah, on paper or expressions and so forth, and then I'll spend around the next eight hours sort of doing my tasks and and just sort of the earlier stage, when it was the earlier stage of development, it would be a lot of sort of figuring out what we needed, because so the first stage of any chapter we made for the game was, you know, filling out all the animations we would need for that particular chapter. So that would be like the, the, the first couple of weeks-ish, while also sort of starting those animations. And then it would be sort of just sort of doing all the tasks that we created for ourselves in the next course, next months. And then um, I'll spend about eight, uh, eight to ten hours sort of working on that, and then I'll sort of start walking home. All right. And are you, when you're working, do they assign you a specific character to work on throughout, you know, the duration of the game? Or is it more of you're working on different scenes with multiple characters you do a pass, show it to supervisor, work on the pass, and then you get another scene? Uh, no, I animate all the characters in the game we only had one and a half or we had two animators and me and then and somebody who, who works freelance in san francisco working on the game so we wouldn't assign specific characters we would we would just sort of assign workload and then sort of just get it done <laughs> do you have favorite types of things you like to animate like are you like an action person or are you more of deep introspective kind of person or does it not matter is it all just hey it's animation that's I, I I love doing different things so there's definitely characters because in a big studio as an animator you know you would sort of try to get to know the character you would sit down do a lot of research uh, into what type of body movement would work for this character how would he re- react physically giving his structure and his personality to, to the dialogue that you're given and so forth. There was very little time to sort of get into to know sort of characters that way. But uh, there was definitely characters in the game that I sort of immediately understood, okay, for this character, I'll have an opportunity to sort of add these kind of things, these kind of types of emotions because of that character. But because it's a game and a lot of animations, a lot of animations have to work within gameplay so character driven animation doesn't necessarily translate well into sort of gameplay animation because 
when you're dealing with gameplay animations, one of the key things is sort of when you sort of run or jump and so forth, you want a certain responsiveness from your controllers, which means that if a character is jumping, you might have to just sort of cut out, you know, anticipation from the jump in order to get the response uh, of the character jumping. So you kind of had to break some of the, the, the rules that they've taught you in school about animation. Okay, so once you got there, realized this is different. This isn't just what we're doing in class. This is a whole other set of skills. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the major difference between game animation to sort of film TV animation is that a lot of game animations, you have to sort of... comes about resp- the responsiveness, so actions might be sped up in order to, to make it sort of feel right for the player when they're playing it, or you... Uh, with a jump, you'd cut out, you know, anticipation in order to make the jump happen instantaneously and, and so forth. And it sort of had to, especially if you're working in-game, it has to work from all sort of angles. If you're working in a, in a 3D environment where you can pan the, the camera around 360 degrees, while in film, you work very much, you know, with one set of, yeah, like, like a set of camera angles. So you can animate through the camera and you can then add all the pretties. Interesting. All right. And since you've now, you know, you've been working at the studio for a couple of years and you also have a couple of years of freelancing under your belt. What are some things that you could go back in time and tell either high school Avon or bachelor degree or master's degree Avon, just a couple of things that you've learned now, like what would you tell yourself to help yourself while you were in school? Learn the basic, just have, like, just set and do walk cycles all day. Just do practice stuff. But uh, that's especially if you're, especially if you're working for games. Just being able to very quickly create a decent walk cycle, or uh, just sort of get uh, getting the the feel of uh, of we all move individually. But there's always sort of root principles at play whenever sort of somebody moves and just sort of hammer those sort of principles in. So when you have to do something, you can just very quickly get it to that that stage. I would just sit, I would go back and say, you know, do that, you know, sit down for three years and do that. <laughs> and, and speaking of being able to do things quickly, how much time do you typically get? to be able to do a scene? And then how much time does it typically take just to to actually make the game and get it out there to market? Well, I really can't give you like a straight answer on, on scenes because what we'll sometimes do, and that has to do that sometimes we, we will have to do the scene before we have the sound. So um, I'll quickly sort of do like a layout pass so that we can just start getting the camera set up for the scenes into the game. And then I, uh, I'll, I'll move on to something else until so we have the sound. And then once we have sound in, I'll, I'll might do, then I'll go in and do like a, a second and third pass. But I think on average, like each scene, given the amount of scenes we had, yeah, it was an average of maybe two to three hours per scene. Oh, wow. That's, that's very fast. Uh, I mean, the the entire game with all five chapters is 20 hours plus, maybe sort of hitting 30 hours. So there was a lot of animations, uh, I mean, animation to get done. So we just had to sort of figure out the, the, the quickest and most efficient ways of creating sort of the animations that sort of would generally work for the entire game. And I'm curious, I've always actually wondered about this, especially when for games or shows or movies that are very popular, do you read the reviews of your game and of what you guys are doing? Or do you find that, nope, I just need to just do my work and not even pay attention to what other people are saying about it? I didn't read almost any of the reviews, but I, you know, co-workers will sort of link sort of like, oh, uh, hey, check out this quote from this review and so forth and, and stuff like that. But I, uh, uh, for me, it was, um, especially with the women when it came out uh, with the first chapter of the game, which uh, that was sort of, that was my first sort of release 
uh, piece in the, in in, the, in that way. So it was very sort of close to me. So I was like, I I don't want to I don't want to hear what people are saying right now. I just I just want to work continue working and 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 sort of yeah it, it was a bit too personal or close to me. But as we started sort of releasing more and more chapters, that sort of disappeared and. I started having a look at reviews and then sort of being like, what? How can they say that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't they know? Don't they understand my, my hard oh, sweat and tears? And there, there was one review that sort of we, 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 we were kind of a bit boggled by, but I'm, I'm not going to go into it. But yeah, it was one, one reviewer, was, reviewer was complaining that, we, that the reviewer couldn't enter every house in the game, which sort of had us a bit perplexed. Because we don't know of any sort of computer games out there that you can actually enter every house within an open world. So you thought that was a bit of a weirdness. That is kind of an odd thing, especially yeah. since that's not the main purpose of the game. But I guess they just wanted to see what's inside every single home, even if there's nothing there. They just wanted to go in. Mm. Like, huh, well, that that is that is odd. Mm. But yeah, well, it, it... The first release, uh, at least for me, it was like, I, I can't deal with reviews for this. Like, the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that had gone into it made it like, kind of like, I don't want to know what people are saying about this. I, I, I don't want my illusions to be shattered. Yeah, I just want to be able to do my work. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, that's probably the, the better way to do it. Because that's how it, you know, it's interesting. That's how it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, there didn't used to be this instantaneous evaluation of the thing before the thing is even out there and even when it was out there it was you know if it was a movie you read about it in the newspaper if it was a television show you read about it in the newspaper or you only heard about it from your friends now it's millions of people worldwide that you have never met and you have no idea who they are talking about it so i imagine that must be rather strange yeah What's uh, really great about because I mean uh, uh, even though uh, this is the third game in a in a, in a series so we had we already had like a very good fan base and and the fans for our game are are amazing supporters they would uh, every couple of months they would send send like a care package to the office with like a couple of pounds of coffee and and cookies and uh, uh, all of that sort of sort of love so. Uh, we were fueled by passion as well. Well, that's really nice. Yeah. It's like, we love you guys so much. Have some food. Have some snacks. Work hard. Keep going. Yeah. Have some more cookies. Uh, our fans are, are, are just amazing. And so like, we have, I feel, at least a good connection. Like, a, Because we're a medium-sized to small company, we try to sort of have a lot of contact with our, with our sort of fan base. And, and there's just so, so many great people there. That's good. And and speaking of that, you had mentioned earlier that you got this job because you con- you contacted them directly and, you know, they said, turn in your materials. What did you say and how did you prepare so uh, that you were able to do that? Well, yeah, so I um, contacted uh, Rob Downey's director and he, he, you know, a couple of emails back and forth and told me to apply once they... Um, once they made the position uh, available, and then I applied, and I I got a test from them, which I spent you know spent a week on to to do the appropriate amount, and then it was two rounds of interviews, which I, I both times I thought that I just sort of just blew it like I was I was being either sort of too talkative or too weird or or something, and uh, oh no, <laughs> yeah. And, but uh, I, I sort of, I present myself the way you should present present yourself in the interview. You know, it's sort of well kept clothes, not not necessarily like the full suit and tie, but at least like an okay jacket and some okay looking pants. And what I did from what I when I sent them my portfolio and did their did their test to when I came in for the second round of interviews was that I created more a more body of work, which I then showed them as well, which was everything from some 3D modeling I'd done to 
to uh, new animations I've been working on, to illustrations I've done. So to show also diversity, because in a smaller company, you might have to wear more hats. So if you kind of show that you you have the ability to sort of jump or to different positions, that seems to be, um, that will always be sort of a nudge in your favor. And for this game, I, I did a lot of the rigging and skinning as well, because I I rigged and skinned my own project at AAU. So the moment I said, oh, the moment I mentioned that I knew rigging and skinning, they sort of, that sort of made them like, what? You know, this highly difficult thing that's, very few other people know how to do. We found that's good. That is good. Yeah, and you know, speaking of bringing, I had a, a chance to talk to Daria in a previous interview, and you and Daria are actually the only two people that I know who know how to rig. You don't meet. I mean, I know that obviously there are riggers out there. But you don't really meet a lot of them, and it's not something that's not a skill that people talk about. But it's it's a really good skill to have. It's a great skill to have because one, if you are an animator and you just want to modify the rig you're working on, like of course when you work like for Disney or something, the animator does not have clearance to go in and start changing rig. They're gonna sort of have to kick it back down to the riggers. But uh, for um, a lot of the time when we're working on this game, uh, it's problem solving and figuring out what isn't working. And if the animator knows, knows rigging, it's very, for, for non-animators, it's sometimes difficult to sort of figure out whether or not the issue they're watching is an animation problem or a rigging problem or a technical problem. And because I've done all the rigging, I can very quickly, if, if an issue would pop up, I could very quickly look and go, oh, that's rigging, that's animation, and that's technical or sort of uh, program related. So that became a plus and also just the ability to sort of go in and change the rig or sort of modify stuff if you want different things out of the same rig. It's, 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 it's a very um, good skill to have. And speaking of animation and having different skills and whatnot, where do you see the industry going? You know, now that you've had an opportunity to work not only in the States doing some freelance, but also freelancing and working full-time in Norway. What does the trajectory look like to you just for the state of the industry? You've got to have maybe uh, in trajectory in terms of, uh, well, in terms of it growing or shrinking or uh, hiring or not hiring or getting more automated and others. Uh, because uh, I think in terms of um, games and game animation and that aspect of the industry, and I think you know it's just going to grow, grow and grow and grow. Because I mean, uh, animations are games, and games are everywhere now. They're on your phone, they're on your computer, they're on your TV. And so I don't see the, the I just see the industry expanding in in terms of game uh, games a, a lot more. I don't think that that ceiling sort of started being broached yet. I do think what we'll see is a lot more outsourcing, especially uh, especially Amer like I think American animators and people working in the industry are going to increasingly see more of their work being sort of moved to China and, and India, which are the sort of two booming markets or growing places for the industry. How does the gaming industry and, you know, if you can speak to it too, like just like TV and film, how does that differ over in Europe and over in Norway compared to what you saw while you were here in the States? Well, I don't know if this is like a major difference, but, and also because some of the biggest game companies in the world are in Sweden, but um, like one of the differences I can, I can definitely speak to is that a lot of game companies in Europe and in Norway, they we get governmentally funding or funding from the European Union, which, because of that sort of socialized, if you will, game industry, there's always then going to be sort of a small job market regardless. So, if you as individual wants to make want to make a game, you can send a proof of concept to a board review where, where they can give you funding. And I'm not sure if you have that in the States. 
I do not believe that exists. <laughs> I don't think, yeah. I mean, I know that there are, um, there's grants organizations, but that's usually for if you want to do something that has some kind of educational purpose. So mm. like you, or you'll have something like the National Endowment of the Arts or the National Science Foundation. Usually if you're going to be getting some kind of government funding, it's because you're going to do some type of animation that is more like an advocacy or like a, a PSA type of situation rather than I want to do this purely for the sake of doing this. You're probably not going to get a government grant. But if you're doing it because I want to make a film about the dangers of lead poisoning. <laughs> so I'm going to contact the National Science Foundation and convince them to give me money to talk about the science behind lead. You'd probably get money for something like that, but if it's more of, I just want to tell this really fun story, you're most likely going to be on your own, unless you do like a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo kind of campaign. Mm. No, because a lot of the, the, the applications that Bo, that uh, the Norwegian Film Institute get, gets who gives money both to TV, films, and games, uh, a lot of them are sort of, you know, more sort of angled in like a social aspect, but... Um, I mean, both our game and uh, a movie called Troll Hunters, which is exactly what it sounds like, and uh, a movie called Dead Snow, which is about Nazi zombies, all got funding from the Norwegian Film Institute. So uh, the Norwegian Film Institute has been trying to, for years, to sort of fund a diversity of projects. So they kind of look at everything from what's educational to what's, what's maybe a bit more like individual and quirky, to what is commercial viable. So if we give these guys or this individual money, will he be able to create something that will then create enough revenue for them to then sustain themselves so that they sort of started an industry or started the con sort of helped start a company so they sort of created jobs. <laughs> All right, that makes a lot of sense. And also, so going on a slightly different track here, do you have... Any personal projects or any like cool things that you're working on or that you're wanting to start up in the future? Absolutely. I have a couple of sort of things go, uh, smaller projects going at, uh, at the time. Uh, there's, they're very much like in just like early lofty ID stage. But now that I, now that the, the, the hard crunch is over from, from Greenfall, I find myself with more spare time. So I found myself sort of starting planning them again and sort of figuring out which one I'm going to work more on and and so forth. But yes, I yes, I definitely have personal stuff uh, going, but it's nothing that I can really sort of go into depth to because they are, um, they're very much aloof at this. They're sort of just sort of very concept. All right. Well, we'll have you back in a couple of months and be like, all right, now you can reveal what you are currently working on and how, how things are going in the concept stage. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'll happily be there. I'll, I'll come with drawings and, 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 and concepts and storyboards and animatics. And... You'll have your whole pitch Bible together. It's like, all right, here's what it is. Oh, but my problem is that I'm sometimes such a scatterbrain, so I'll have like a thousand things going. I was out this this Friday and I observed something on, on my way home. Now I just want to create an animatic of that event because it was one of the most funniest, absurd things that, that's happened to me in quite some time. Like I, I need to animate this moment in time. This that's a good way. <laughs> yeah, and I, I understand completely what you mean because I feel like at any given time I have about... I made these little index cards and I taped them to my closet wall of like all the different projects I want to work on just so I can see them. And I had about 10 and I said, all right, why don't we just do one at a time? So it's this thing of trying to figure out, all right, which one do I want to do? And let's actually work on it and completely finish it and then go to the next one. Otherwise, I can envision just having about 10 partially completed projects that never see the light of day. Yeah. No, but it's one of those things, especially since... Um... So I am a firm believer that you should take a break from the stuff you do. So if you work a lot of animation, then it's very healthy for you to sort of just do something else in life. Go out, you know, learn dancing, take up the piano or, or something. But since 
I also, in my spare time, will sort of work with animation or drawing as well, because I don't heed my own advice. I find it to be very liberating not to have the same focus, just to sort of play more with and sort of just be very aloof with it and just sort of go different places in my head and try to get it on paper without the focus, if that makes sense. That makes sense. And I hear what you're saying, too, about the go out and have fun and do things. I'm the same way. It's like I have all these hobbies that I never do. (laughs) It's like it'd be be great to be well-rounded and one day I will be again, but not today. (laughs) Hopefully when I'm like retired, I'll start getting well-rounded and uh, Mm -hmm. start getting that balance, you know. You'll be like those retirees and Maybe they have them in Oslo as well, but here, I'm sure you saw them while you were here too. All those commercials for, they're usually for some type of pharmaceutical, like heart medication or something, but they always show very active senior citizens and retirees, you know, they're biking and they're kayaking and they're walking and they're doing all these things. And I'm thinking, wow, I really hope that I get to do all those things when I'm 60. That would be exciting. (laughs) The the joke among my friends is that when we sort of hit the nursery home, we're just going to have like weave chair races down the hallway. And <laughs> the and old animator's home. It's like all the things we can do now. Yes. Or do what we did when we were in kindergarten and just escape the place, you know. So did you ever escape uh, from kindergarten? Yes, we did. Oh, you we, did? <laughs> Where did you yes. go? We sort of snuck out through a fence and just sort of ran across like a hill and played on this hill away from the kindergarten and then sort of snuck back in a couple of times. It was very funny, very dangerous. I'm glad nothing bad happened to us because I would feel terrible for the the poor workers who would have been blamed for that, for us being, you know, <laughs> stupid. Well, so they never discovered that you guys were gone. No. It's pretty negligent care. It's like, wait a minute, there are, there's an entire group of small children that are no longer in your purview. You should, you guys should be paying a little more attention to that. Hey, we had adventures. That's all I can say. There you uh, go. Very good. So what inspires you now? Like now that you have some more, you know, you mentioned that the crunch time is over and you had, uh, you had a chance to go on holiday and then come back to work. Did, you know, have you gotten to seen any recent, like, movies or are there any books or music that you've been listening to that has inspired either your personal work or what you're doing at work? In terms of what I've been able to see, I mean, the most inspiring thing I find in terms of uh, is a TV show called Steven's Universe. Mm -hmm. And I managed to catch up on that during the summer, which is always just pure joy on TV. Books, what did I read? Like, I reread Jurassic Park, which is always inspiring. Like, Jurassic Park has all, like, I think that was the movie that when I watched when I was 10 that really sort of got me into film magic in a way. And other than that, I must say, except for maybe, you know, Civil War, it's been a very bad movie summer. There's been very little good, sort of, big screen magic going on. Most of the stuff that's come out have been sort of like a bit sort of okay to net, but nothing like spectacular. Like there was no Guardians of the Galaxy. Because last year you had like Jurassic World, you had Guardians of the Galaxy, you had Ant-Man, you had... Because last year there was just like a great lineup of like fantastic sort of special effects movies. And this year it's been like Batman vs. Superman, which was, you know... Nah, which was, it was <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it, but I heard Wonder Woman's the the consensus was that Wonder Woman was awesome for the twenty minutes she was there, but you had oh. to watch the rest of the movie to get to her part. Was it twenty? It felt more like five. That is, I <laughs> that is what I've been told. I didn't actually see it. I saw the posters and went, I'm gonna pass on this one, but I'm gonna find out from friends what it was like. And the general consensus was. Wonder Woman's great, but you had to see two dudes punching each other over something that could have been solved with a phone call. <laughs> yeah, but what is also so funny is that uh, the entire movie is supposed to be a build-up of them punching each other, and then they just punch each other for five minutes, and somebody says, 
Martha, and it's ooh. Oh, that's <laughs> disappointing. It's like, so you have to sit through there. You only get five minutes of... See, they made it seem like, oh, there's like this 45-minute battle or something. So that, that's too bad. Yeah, but... Uh, uh, I mean, uh, Batman v Superman has gotten a lot of hatred, but I don't think it's like that bad of a movie, but it's it's just like... It was like, the, in terms of like special effects magic on screen, they haven't been the best summer for it. Like, I enjoyed Warcraft more than I did most other movies, except for the Civil War one. In terms of books, I'm, I'm reading uh, an author called Brandon Sanders. I don't know if you're familiar with his body of work. Not familiar. What does he do? Uh, he, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's primarily or solely uh, fantasy. And he has... I think he's sort of dangling, you know, three to four different universes right now. But they're all sort of in the same universe. But it's sort of young adult fantasy with like elaborate expanding universes and what he does exceedingly well is he do he does he's very creative with magic and how it functions and not functions and his worlds are always very interesting and and alive in a way which is what i highly enjoy all right we'll have to look into that because i'm always looking for new books especially now that i'm out of school in school all i read were how-to books just yeah. how, you know, timing for animation, illusion of life, I animating your career. If it had the word animate in the title, that's what I was reading. And so now I'm at the point where it's like, hey, I feel like I've read most of those. Oh, there are these other books. I should check them out, see what they're about here. You just sort of, the moment you mentioned that, I sort of just tilted my head over to the right and just saw my, like my, my history of the effects book there and my... Uh, acting for animators books and all like all like I, I still sort of have all the the uni books and a part of me was like I, I would maybe like to read them again just for nostalgia's sake but I don't have the time for that <laughs> yeah I mean they're all very good and you'll glean different things out of them but mm. I like your idea too of you know go out learn dancing yeah be well-rounded have have other interests it'll it'll only help your your whole life not just for for working, but just your general mental health and well-being. It's just good to be involved with other things. Wasn't that Brad Bird who once said that in order to reflect life, you have to know life or something? Yes. Like yeah, I believe the quote, and I'll, uh, I'll find the exact quote, but I believe it's, in order to animate life, you have to have a life. Yeah, that's the quote. And that is that is very true because it's you know it's kind of hard to tell a good story if you haven't actually lived or or done anything or or at the very least you know listen to somebody listen mm. to somebody or read about somebody that did something interesting all your thoughts and all your experiences and all the people you've met they all gel together yeah absolutely it's just a hard thing to do in school when you're pulling all nighters and trying to get your film together. Yeah, all, all lighters. That's the, uh, it's not that long ago, actually. <laughs> no. I mean, I did that the other week. So it's yeah. it's kind of like, just because you're out of school doesn't mean that ends. You know, if there's something you need to get done, it's like, well, I could sleep or I could finish this. I'm going to finish this and I'll sleep tomorrow. Just don't give yourself an early heart attack. This is true. I'm not necessarily advocating this lifestyle. I'm just <laughs> saying, hey, if, do what you need to do. To get things done and then rest. Yeah. Rest is good. Rest yes. is fun. Yes. It's, I'm glad that we have to sleep. It would be terrible if we didn't just awake all hours. So where can people find you online? Do you have, I know you've got Twitter and Tumblr and all of that. What are your uh, social media outlets so people can see what you've been working on? I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I do have a blog, which is which hasn't been updated, I think, in like five to six years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's Facebook and Twitter. I am actually not on Tumblr or anything. And my Twitter footprint is so minuscule. Like, I, I might send out a tweet once a month. Uh, if I'm, I'm feeling generous. I, I'm mostly on Facebook. And it's because uh, I really don't have 
that much time to sort of go to all these sort of media outlets. So I, I found myself like one that I'm I'm very happy with, which is Facebook, and then but they uh, would be the the best place to sort of either contact me. And I think from there, like there's going to be links to Dreamful chapter related stuff to my blog. <laughs> The blog is like a time capsule. You can see what you were working on back then, but Facebook uh, is good for, you know, current. So this is actually one of the things I say, like, every couple of months, I really need to update my blog. And it's, and I just had that feeling again, like, oh, I should really just sort of transform that entire thing to something that looks way less studenty and way more <laughs> professional. <laughs> that needs to be done. I don't know how it is for sort of other people, but I, I see people who who sort of work at Disney and Pixar and DreamWorks and other companies who are very good at maintaining their sort of web page or their blogs and, and so forth. And for me, it's like, you know, I, I'm working, 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 and I don't have the time to do all this. Like, I, you know, I need a good day to sort of sit down. And it needs to be a day that's, especially during crunch, if you have a weekend, then the last thing you want to sit during your weekend then is to sort of sit there and sort of fix your log. <laughs> this is true. It's kind of like, oh, I have a whole day to myself. I know what I'll do. Coding, updating the computer. Yeah, that'll be fun. I mean, maybe it's, you know, for some people that's fun, but it's kind of like, yeah, oh, yeah. I could go outside. Yeah, let's well, do that. There's this thing called the sun. What is this <laughs> magic Wall of it's, fire in the sky. I will worship it. Bob. It's like, I miss it. But you know, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, different people that are online. But I know a lot of people at all those companies that you've mentioned that they don't update their sites either for the yeah. exact same reason that you mentioned, which is they're really busy. I think it depends, too, on what your goals are. Because I found that the people that update a lot, they tend to also be the folks that they're also doing a comic or they're doing a sketchbook or they're doing their own short. Mm. So it tends to also be part of personal branding if they have a lot of their own individual material, which to that I say that makes a lot of sense. If you're also promoting something that you're doing outside of the office. Mm. Also, in, in my case, I, I work still a lot on paper with pencils which means that in order to get it online, I would either have to sort of scan it in or something like that. And that sort of, I should just really start doing digital stuff. And so it's just, so it's just like, save, upload, done. Makes sense. Mm. Well, Avon, do you have any parting thoughts, anything that you want to share with the listening audience, either about your experiences or uh, any words of wisdom that you want to part with that you think will help people out? I think yeah, I'll, I'll st still stick with what I what I mentioned last time when we talked about this. Don't kill yourself over work. Try to to maintain some balance and don't work too much. That yeah, I've I've seen people burn out and it's not pretty. <laughs> that is definitely like it's the one thing that always sort of comes to mind. It's just like yeah, don't work too, don't kill yourself. That's good advice for me, too, because I tend to burn the candle at both ends. So I, I will try to take your advice as well. Yeah, <laughs> it can be a challenge, days, me and the listeners. One of these days, I might start listening to it myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you listen to your interview, you can be like, I said that. I should yeah. do that, too. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting because especially a lot of family, but also close friends of mine, are like, Avin, you need to work this. You need to stop this, you know. <laughs> Go out, have fun. And we do have fun. Like, we do have fun. Very good. Well, Avon, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk with me. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to talk to you. So this this is more like, you know, having a good conversation with our old buddy. So, and thank you for having me on. And that concludes today's interview. Thanks again to Avon for being such a wonderful guest. Really enjoyed having you on the show. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And thank you so much to everyone who has left a review. I really appreciate it. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com. 
and clicking on the PayPal button and making a donation. All of your donations help me to pay for web hosting and podcasting costs. And thank you so much to everyone who made a donation this year. I sincerely appreciate it. And you can also support the show by supporting the sponsors, Amazon, Audible, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Amazon is your place to go to buy everything under the sun. Audible is the best place to find great audiobooks. Loot Crate is the place to go if you want to get unique geek and gaming gear. And Blueberry Podcast Hosting is the best podcasting hosting service on the planet. I love it. And if you would like to host a podcast of your very own, I highly recommend the service. So when you click on those banner ads and make purchases, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And that helps me to pay for web hosting and podcasting costs. So thank you to everyone for supporting our sponsors. I appreciate it and the sponsors appreciate it as well. And if you want to check out what's going on in the world of animation, make sure to visit the Facebook page, facebook.com slash the animated journey. And on Tumblr, it's the animated And on Twitter and Instagram, the handle is at animjourney. And if you want to see what I've been up to, you can visit my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the handle is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. Facebook, it's facebook.com slash sketchysoul. And on Twitter and Instagram, the handle is at sketchysoul. And as always, thank you to everyone for listening. I have greatly enjoyed creating this podcast and interviewing all of my wonderful guests. And I'm glad that all of you out there have been enjoying the show. It's been a pleasure meeting many of you in person at various events this year. And I appreciate all of the wonderful comments that I've received on social media from you guys. You guys are the best friends ever. And I'm so glad that you're enjoying the show. And I just want to say thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for making this show possible. Thank you again to all the guests. And I am really looking forward to 2017. I'm going to be traveling for the next couple of weeks. So the next episode will be premiering in January. So to everyone out there who will be traveling over the holidays or spending time with friends and family, or even if you're going to be staying home, I hope that all of you have a wonderful and fun and safe holiday season. And to all you students out there, good luck on your finals. And to everyone who's working to become a professional in the industry, I wish you well. You guys are awesome. And I know that one day you are all going to succeed. So until then, be encouraged. Have a great rest of your 2016. And looking forward to bringing you more great podcasts in 2017. And have a great day, everybody.